Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Today, as we record this presentation, there's planes flying around, people in sprayers getting ready to apply fungicide on wheat. So we thought it'd be a timely topic to bring on Dr. Pierce Paul in the plant pathology department. He's our small grains and corn um, disease specialist with extension to talk about where we are with uh, forecasting wheat scab and um, some of the research that he's done. So Pierce, you wanna introduce yourself? Hi, as Amanda said, I'm the uh, corn and small grains pathologist here in the Department of Plant Pathology at The Ohio State University. I do have a 60% uh, research appointment and a 40% extension appointment. So a lot of my um, research is driven and geared to address applied questions and farmers' needs in the area of disease management of field crops, specifically um, corn and small grains. So you've collaborated with some other universities to develop this wheat scab website that offers a good prediction tool based on a few factors. Farmers can look at that and make their decision on whether they should apply or not. And actually, I was talking with a farmer the other day who said he was looking at it uh, to see what the predictions were. Looking at it today, um, it looks like that forecast is low. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Right. So as an epidemiologist, uh, an important part of the research I do is look at environmental host and cropping factors that affect disease development. And using that information, we developed um, risk assessment models for um, head scab in wheat. And we're doing similar types of models for other diseases as well, including gibberella air out of corn eventually. But the idea behind these models is to look at specific environmental conditions like temperature, relative humidity, rainfall, and use that information based on our understanding of how they affect disease development to make a prediction as to the risk of disease development in the case head scab and vomitoxin contamination of grain. And what growers and stakeholders can do is use that information to guide fungicide application decisions, grain marketing decisions, grain sourcing decisions. So for the scab forecasting system specifically, we look at relative humidity during that 15-day window before the crop hit um, anthesis or flowering. In other words, when those bright anthers are seen sticking out of the central portion of the spike. And that's why we use anthesis as a guide for making decisions about fungicide application, because that's when the fungicide typically infects. It can infect later on, but the bulk of the infection takes place at anthesis. So what we've done over the years in collaboration with universities across the country, we've collected um, temperature relative humidity data, and we found a temperate relative humidity data best explained the risk of um, head scab development. We looked at that uh, 15 day summary before that flowering window and based on how many hours of uh, relative humidity above 80, above 90, the risk increases or decreases. And what that gives us is a map that either turns red if the risk is high, yellow if the risk is moderate or stays green if the risk is low. And if you look at the map today, for example, 
Ohio, the map is green, meaning that if your wheat crop is flowering today, the 15 days of weather before today, or the last, last two weeks, have not been, has not been favorable for head scab development. If you look at Kansas, Oklahoma, for example, it's red, meaning that for their wheat flowering today as well, um, the last 15 days, conditions have been humid and highly favorable for head scab. So that's useful for deciding, okay, is it worth applying a fungicide? Is a fungicide application going to be cost effective or not? Yeah, I think this is a really useful tool. I know one thing that you know, guys think about is when you look at this tool, it's telling you what the risk factor is today. How quickly do you see the risk factor? So we're green now, you know, how quickly could we go from red and what kind of conditions would we need to see over the next you know, few weeks for that to become an issue? That's a good question, um, Elizabeth. And it's important. That's why we emphasize the need to look at the forecasting system every day on the day that your crop reach flowering. In other words, if you look at it today, don't make decisions for tomorrow based on what you saw today. Actually, you could make decisions collectively by looking at multiple days in a row to see how consistently conditions are favorable. That's probably the best way to use the tool. The question is that um, it, it accumulates these conditions over 15 days. So if you've got a highly humid, humid um, day, very wet and humid day, on the very first day in that 15-day window, tomorrow, that day is gonna drop out of the window and the risk could change. So that's basically why you need to look every day. Or if you've got a map that looks yellow today, but then today is high, it's very wet and humid, then tomorrow, today's weather gets into that 15 window, 15-day window and the risk can increase. So it just takes one highly favorable or two highly favorable days for the risk to go from yellow to red, for example. It rarely goes from red, from green to red because it takes multiple days of favorable weather conditions for it to light up as being highly favorable. So it's important to, to, um, to look at the risk on the day that your crop reach anthesis or multiple days during the time your crop reach anthesis because we know that in a big field, anthesis vary from one part of the field to the next. So you can look at multiple days within that window. Another thing that causes the map to change color and the risk to change is the susceptibility of your variety. You might have a variety that's highly susceptible and the conditions for that highly susceptible variety means that the risk might be high. But if your next field flowering today as well, you've got a resistant variety or a moderately resistant variety, the risk decreases. So it's important to make sure you select the right variety so that you don't underestimate or overestimate the risk based on today's weather conditions or the weather conditions at flowering time. So if I'm a producer and I'm kind of sitting on the fence, you know, I'm looking today and the forecast is green, but I see some rain um, and maybe my um, variety that I planted isn't as susceptible as I should have. Are there any other factors, you know, like field history that I can help use to make a decision? Excellent question. And that's why we as state specialists we provide commentaries on the forecasting system to help guide you along. Remember, the forecasting system is only a model and it gives you, you know, reasonable estimates with 80% accuracy. But at the end of the day, your practical experience and your own underground experience should also play in. So whenever I post commentary on the forecasting system, 
I normally post my own interpretation of what's going on in addition to what the forecasting system is showing you. So yes, um, your own practical experience should play in to the overall assessment of disease risk because the forecasting system is only a tool. It's not the tool, it's a tool that you should use along with your own practical experience, guidance from your extension educators and guidance from your state specialist. Yeah, I was just looking at the tool and it's really interesting because some of these areas, you know, it's green and then you get down to like a five square mile area that it has red. So it's not just state by state. It's very specific to the the location where you're at. Right. That's correct. And another thing um, to answer uh, your question as well is um, it might be green today and you might be at the edge of a green area and a yellow area, you've got a 24-hour, 48-hour, and a 72-hour option to look forward. In other words, you can make projections 24 hours ahead, 48 hours ahead, and 72 hours ahead, and see where you are in terms of transition from a green to a yellow. But it's meant to provide very... um, fairly specific. There's, there's a level of accuracy in terms of, I think it works on a five kilometer grid. There's a, there's a very there's a variation in the level of accuracy in terms of the specific location. But again, that's why I think it, it's worth, you know, doing uh, multiple days around your flowering time and then make projections using the 24 hour tool, the 48 hour tool and the 72 hour tools to project forward three days to see exactly what the risk is. And again, never hurts to talk to a state specialist, their extension educators. We've got on the ground experience with this disease. Yeah, and Pierce, we know you've really you've been out and about a lot this spring, looking at fields, um, wheat fields across Ohio. So you're a great resource to get in contact with. Um, what sorts of things are you seeing in your travels around the state so far this year? Right. So this is part of a, a larger national predictive modeling tool initiative project where we we, our plan is to tackle more than just um, head scab from a risk assessment prediction standpoint. So I appreciate all the contributions from extension indicators and growers in terms of helping us develop this tool. And what we do is we walk, we're going about the state and we're looking um, at disease patterns um, at multiple locations, regions across the state, collecting disease information and tying that disease information with crop residue management in fields, with um, airborne spore um, um, concentration and weather conditions. And ultimately what we wanna do is use that information again to build risk tools that can help growers anticipate a bad year for scab, a bad year for rust, a bad year for septoria to make management decisions. So far this year, disease levels have been low, we've, but we've found what we kind of expect, pockets with powdery mildew, pockets with rust, pockets with septoria, and that's useful for what we're trying to do. If every place had rust or septoria, then you already don't need a prediction tool. You know it's going to show up. But if you've got variation across the state, then you can tie those variations to specific management weather conditions and predict the risk that way. But even those diseases, I wouldn't say that this year has been a terribly bad year for diseases. The levels are low. In most cases, flag leaves are still pretty clean. But then there's pockets of rust, pockets of powdery mildew, Pockets of septorian stagnospora. 
And we had to, we were originally going to record this yesterday, but you were busy out in the field with some of your research coming on. What are you working on now? Um, and what kind of, where have you gone with some of this research? Right. So um, from the applied side, my role still is to come up with, with solutions, workable solutions for major diseases of corn and wheat. And there's some barley work in my, in my program as well. Headscap still is a primary focus. We've got um, new fungicides being labeled and we've got new varieties being released. And once we have those, then our goal is to um, see how well they fit into an integrated management program. The most, one of the most recent fungicides we've looked at, this is our third year of testing, is Miravis ACE. It's a fungicide that's been labeled for use in wheat. So we're testing this in Ohio, as well as in more than 15 different locations across the country to see how well it works and how consistently it works. So testing new fungicides for headscab management is one of our primary goals. And while it's headscab is not the only disease that affects wheat, we're also looking at how well these fungicides work in terms of um, providing resistance, sorry, um, providing control of um, leaf diseases as well. In addition to that, we still do our, like I said, risk assessment models. We're collecting data to build risk assessment models for corn and wheat diseases. We are also working in collaboration with Placenella, the wheat breeder, to screen for the best resistant varieties. And thankfully, over the last couple of years, we've been able to develop and release varieties with good levels of resistance to head scab, powdery mildew, and staganospora. So those are key um, applied research things we're, we're doing at this time. Uh, we are doing um, some work with some support from the um, Ohio Corn Growers Association um, work on um, Gibrella aerot. This is a disease that affected our corn crop last year. And why it's relevant for wheat, the same fungus causes head scab in wheat. So the same fungus that causes head scab causes stock rot and Gibrella aerot in corn. And we had major problems in some parts of the state last year with vomitoxin in corn. So part of that research involves some very more hands-on, more applied things. For example, working in collaboration with Jason, Jason Horshaw, we're looking at um, cleaning methods for mitigating um, mycotoxin levels in grain. In other words, after fields are harvested, they're already contaminated with um, vomitoxin. What can we do to reduce the vomitoxin in the grain? So we're looking at cleaning and screening methods to help reduce vomitoxin in the grain. In addition to that, we're doing some on-farm trials, looking at um, fungicide applications in commercial fields using commercial equipment to reduce vomitoxin levels in the grain. And in this, these trials, we're looking at different nozzle types, some of these um, 360 um, type nozzles and drop nozzles and high clearance sprayers. We're looking at different nozzle configurations and types to help reduce um, vomitoxin in the grain. And then lastly, one of the key part of this project also involves looking at um, developing a risk assessment model for Gibrella ERAT. A student of mine graduated last year. He developed some preliminary models. What we're doing this year is testing, that model on, testing those models on some independent data to see how accurate they are in terms of predicting risk of vomitoxin in, in corn. Again, with the, with the idea of giving growers you know, an early, early warning system as to whether they should, you know, harvest early, plan to test grain for vomitoxin, apply a fungicides, 
and some of the management and mitigation decision-making that can be made early based on risk assessment. Pierce, going back to wheat real quick, um, did you see or have you talked to people who haven't grown wheat in a while and they're trying to get back in the wheat game as prices have increased? Yes, I did actually respond to an email last night where a guy has not been growing wheat, growing wheat for a while. And because of prices, there is an interest. And as a wheat hardcore, I consider myself a hardcore wheat scientist. I, I like that. I really do like seeing wheat being part of the rotation. We know of the bar values that wheat add to corn and soybean our production system. But yes, guys are you know interested in getting back into wheat. Hopefully this price holds for much longer. And um, they're asking the obvious set of questions. You know, they're a little bit out of touch with management of disease and management of the crop. And they come to us with questions about, you know, uh, specifically last night, the question was about, you know, timing of fungicide for head scab control. So we shared some of that information. It's, it's exciting to see um, wheat getting, getting some press and getting some interest because of the high prices. Yeah, it's weird being in Ohio. Wheat's always been one of my favorite crops. So I've been excited to see the number of acres growing back in the landscape. Yeah, when I came, came here in 2003, we were close to a million acres. And it has dropped steadily, largely because of prices. And quite frankly, of our tree crops, wheat is the one that really needs to manage. You can't just plant wheat and head off to the beaches, you know. you got to manage the crop. And it's worth managing when the price is nice and high. So it's good. Um, well, Pierce, thank you for joining us. For our listeners that are extra excited and want to look into some additional information about the work you're doing, do you have a website you could share where they can go? Right. I think the um, corn, the agronomic crops network would still be the best website to um, find up-to-date information. I think we as a group take pride in, you know, meeting every Monday morning and hearing about growers' concerns and learning from educators and crop consultants what they're seeing out there and providing answers to address immediate needs. So during the season, I think the Agronomic Crops team website would be be a good place to go to find information. There's a Crop Protection Network website as well where information can be found from a, on a regional level. A lot of the things I post in the Agronomic um, Crops Network website can also be found there with um, different perspective from different parts of the country. So those would be two key resources. And obviously, my uh, with an extension appointment, my phone line is always open for um, responding to questions about corn, wheat, and, and barley. And um, my email and my, my cell phone is always available for people to contact with more information, with more questions. Well, Pierce, thanks again. And we'll probably have to get you back on here to talk about corn diseases later in the season. Be happy to do so. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.